What's up, Wizards fans and NBA nerds? My name is Bryce Haas, and you're listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, a podcast giving you game-by-game breakdowns of everything Wizards. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Wizards Hoops Analyst. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, Cavalier Central, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Who would have thought that um, the team to ultimately beat the Jazz at home um, would be this Washington Wizards team? Um, The Jazz have won 24 straight home games coming into this one. Um, So for the Wizards team that has been like really struggling all season long to beat the Jazz in that type of way is really, really impressive. Um, So yeah, the Wizards just beat the Jazz at 125 to 121. Um, Jazz coming to this game had the best record in the league. Um, Their record was 40 and 13. Um, gets pushed down to 40 and 14 with the loss. Um, the Wizards coming in this game are 19 and 33, um, which goes to 20 and 33 with the win. Um, just looking at the Jazz team stats coming into this game, um, they're first in the NBA by far in point differential, um, as defined by cleaning the glass, which um, is um, their point differential filtering out garbage time, I believe. Um, yeah. So their offensive um, rating was second in the NBA with an offensive ridiculous offensive rating of 119.3. Their defensive rating was second in the NBA with a defensive rating of 107.8. Um, obviously, there's some context that went into why the Wizards won this game, which <laughs> obviously I'm going to touch on. Um, but going at, looking at the overview four factors type of stuff, um, the Wizards' offensive rating in this game was really, really good at 121.4. Um, the Jazz was also pretty good at 117.5. Um, Wizards effective field percentage 57.9 to the Jazz 57.1. Um, Wizards turnover rate was 7.8, and the Jazz had about average at 13.6. Um, offense rebound rate for both teams was pretty low. Um, free throw rate for both teams was pretty high. Um, just to go over some of the um, top line box score numbers for the individual players. Um, Bradley Beal was really, really good tonight. Um, he played 37 minutes, which I would assume <laughs> blew away his... Um, minute restriction that they were talking about on the broadcast um usually if you have a minute restriction it's not going to that's going to be like 24 or 30 or you know some even number like that um yeah usually like that's like normal amount of minutes Bradley Beal usually plays so 
you know, I guess I kind of went away with the home and restriction thing once they realized that the Wizards were actually going to be competitive in this game, um, which is cool. I'm I'm glad that they um, made that decision. Um, but 34 points coming on 34 and a half shooting possessions, um, not particularly the most efficient night, um, but just a really, really good display of shot making from Beal. He was also minus 12 on the night and 37 minutes, which is pretty interesting. Um, the guy that did play really well um, also was Russell Westbrook. Um, he was good tonight. He had 25 points, um, 14 assists, 12, um, 14 assists, 14 rebounds, um, 9 for 11 from the free throw line, which is awesome to see, um, 8 for 15 from the field. So those 25 points coming on uh, pretty efficient 20 and a half shooting possessions. Um, off the bench, um, both centers look pretty good off the bench. Gafford had 15 points. He closed this game. I'll talk about that. Um, and uh, Robin Lopez had 10 points, 5 for 5. Um, Gafford was 6 for 8. Um, Bertans was 3 or 7 from 3. had 10 points. Um, yeah, okay. So just looking at the Jazz top line numbers, um, Donovan Mitchell played 39 minutes. was plus 8 when he played. Um, so that means in the other 9 minutes when Donovan Mitchell didn't play, the whole team was minus 14? I didn't do that right. 12. Um, they were minus 12 in the um, eight minutes, nine minutes that Donovan Mitchell didn't play, which is crazy, but 42 points, um, 14 to 32 from the field, four of 11 from three, 10 to 12 from the free throw line. Um, so those 42 points coming on 38 shooting possessions. So pretty efficient night for him. Joe Ingles at 18 points, um, three and a half from three, six to 16 from the field, um, started off pretty well and then kind of petered off toward the end. Um, Bogdan, or Brian Bogdanovich, revenge game for him. He was on the Wizards, man, I want to say two, three years ago. The Wizards traded a pick to the Nets that I believe turned into either it turned into either Jared Allen or Anjik's Passix Knicks. I believe it turned into Jared Allen, um, but he had 33 points on um, was plus seven in his 36 minutes, um, seven for eight from the free throw line, um, six of ten from three, and ten of 18 from the field. So ridiculous shooting night from him. Um, and then the Jazz bench is a big reason why they lost this game. Um, but I'll get I'll get to that in a second. The first thing I want to talk about um, is kind of what happened down the stretch. Um, so the Jazz made this game interesting at the very, very end. Um, I want to look at the win probability um, model per ESPN. Um, so the ESPN's win probability model had the Wizards at a 97.4. I want to look at one of those highest. Um, so the highest it got to was 99.5% win probability for the um, Washington Wizards um, when they were winning 109 to 92 with eight minutes and three seconds left in the fourth quarter. Um, so obviously, eight minutes left in the game, you're winning by 17 points, you're probably going to win the game. Um, but not so fast. Um, no lead is safe with the against the Wizards or for the Wizards, uh, which is kind of, it's it's weird. The Wizards, are, like, I call them like the ultimate rubber band effect um, in that, you know, <laughs> it's always kind of like that. It's fun um, to watch. Makes it exciting as a fan, um, you know, doing this whole thing. But on the Jazz cut the lead to like four at one point, um, but the Wizards' pro- win probability never really dropped below, like, 86, 85.2% in that whole stretch. Um, but the Jazz made it interesting. They made it exciting down the stretch. The one thing I will definitely criticize um, the Jazz on in terms of late-game decision-making was with about, so it was, um, what, 20 seconds left in the game. Um, the Jazz fouled Bradley Beal because they, they were down four. There's 20 seconds left. You know, you had to foul Bradley Beal to get the ball back. Um, Beal missed both his free throws. Um, so 20 seconds left in the game, you have the ball, you're down by four. Um, you, you need a three, like to justify Donovan Mitchell taking a two. Um, I don't have Daryl Blackport's, um, win probability model up. Um, but if I definitely look it up, like the, I think it'd be around like 80, 85%. 
um, of the time you need to make a shot, which is essentially like a relatively open layup, which Donovan Mitchell didn't have. It was like a slightly contested floater that he shot. Um, but if you're the Wizards, you 100% live with them taking a two in that situation. 12, th- 12 seconds left. Um, you're going to shoot a two. Um, not a smart decision. Um, you really, really got to go for the three to give yourself a chance to make another three after the Wizards make two free throws. Because So Bradley Beal is what, 80-something percent free throw shooter? 85, let's say. So if he's an 85% free throw shooter and you foul him to send him to the line, especially when the Wizards have um, a timeout left. So they subbed in Bertans and Matthews, who are both awesome free throw shooters. So then you have Beal, Matthews, or Bertans. You know that one of them is going to get the ball. Um, and one of them is going to have the chance to make two free throws to essentially end the game. Um, so they fouled Bradley Beal. Let's say he's an 85% free throw shooter. That, the odds of him missing both his free throws are 15% of 15. Um, so basically the odds of him ending the game is... Um, or the, uh, the odds of him not ending the game is 15% of 15. And then the odds of you winning after that is the odds of you making a three-pointer. So let's say like 35%. So it's 35% of 15% of 15%, um, which is incredibly low um, for you to win the game. Um, so, and then it's even half of that. So it's, ha- it's half of 35% of 15% of 15%. Um, and you know how often is that going to happen? Like not very often. Um, so you, you really, you just have to, you have to shoot the three to give yourself a chance to win the game. The Jazz didn't. Um, Bradley Beal stepped up, made both free throws um, with 12 seconds left, um, put the Wizards up four, um, and then the game was essentially over from there. Um, so that's that's kind of my criticism of the Jazz. But like besides that, I think that Quinn Snyder is an absolutely unbelievable coach. I think he did a great job of coaching this game. Um, so the thing I really want to talk about, and the reason that I like the biggest reason to me why the Wizards won this game, um, besides some of their really, really good shot making, um, was the Jazz bench. Um, so the Jazz are like, the way that they're constructed, they're like really, really, really an eight-man team. Um, the starting five um, of Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, um, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and usually Mike Conley. And then they have Joe Ingles off the bench, Derek Favors off the bench, and um, Jordan Clarkson off the bench. And that's kind of like their eight-man group. And then you can kind of throw in George Niang as their ninth man, um, who's like, you know, kind of like a below-average rotation player, but like he's good enough to play in the rotation. Um, and then besides that, they really, they just completely fall off. They have like no one after that. Um, so like usually in the regular season, that's fine because they've been so healthy. Um, so it's done a really good job of pointing that out is, um, I'm trying to think of his Twitter username. I think it's Owen Jean, something like that. If you look that up, you'll probably find it. But He's done a really good job of making charts, kind of showing um, how the Jazz have been so, like, have such great continuity, um, how they've, you know, been way more healthy than most teams this season. It's a big reason why, um, like, just staying healthy, um, staying off the injury list has been a big reason why some of the most more successful teams in the league have been more successful. Um, and the Jazz have been pretty much healthier than every single other team in the league. Um, and that's a big reason for their success, especially when they have not a very deep roster. Um, I think one thing I will say is that once you get to the playoffs, that won't really matter as much. Um, usually it matters a little more in the regular season, but the Jazz top eight are just so good and they work so well together. It doesn't really matter when you're really staying that healthy the way that they have been. Um, but so you're missing Mike Conley. Um, you're missing uh, Jordan Clarkson. Um, so you're missing your starting point guard and your backup kind of offensive crew engine when Donovan Mitchell's out the game. Um, so <laughs> so their lineup got super thin. So one of the first guys off the bench was Georges Niang, um, who's usually their ninth man. He doesn't like he, you know, he doesn't play more than 20 minutes a game usually. Um he played 60 minutes in this game, um, about average for him. Um, but then you also had Derek Favors coming off the bench. Um, you know, he usually comes off the bench. That's normal. Um, but you gave Matt Thomas minutes, um, who is not a rotation player on their team. You gave Trent Forrest, was one of the first guys off the bench. 
Um, just a little background on Trent Forrest. He went to Florida State last year. I really liked him, um, but I don't believe that he was in anyone's like top 80 on the draft boards. Like he was right around 80. Um, like, you know, he's kind of like, he's a guard, um, can't really shoot. He plays solid defense, but he's a little undersized. Um, so like he's not he's not an NBA ready player um, right this second. He might turn into one if like everything breaks right for him. But right now he's not ready. And then you have Mieoni, who I actually think is pretty decent. Um, I'm like I'd be perfectly fine with playing Mieoni a little bit. Um, he played 15 minutes. He was not great um, in this particular game, but I don't think like Mieoni is like such a stretch. Um, what I'm really really surprised that the Jazz didn't do is that like. I think Jarrell Brantley is solid. Um, he played a lot in the bubble last year because the Jazz were missing um, Boyan Bogdanovich, um, and they kind of really, really needed like a three type of guy. Um, they also started Jawan Morgan last season in the bubble a few times, um, and they didn't play him at all. But like, I think Jarrell Brantley is better than Jawan Morgan based off what I saw last season in the bubble. I think Jarrell Brantley is also probably better than Trent Forrest. But like, <laughs> you kind of need a guard size player off that bench, um, and Trent Forrest, Matt Thomas are the only guard side guys they have. Like, Mayo is probably more. Like he's like what six five six six, um. So I guess like he's a two three. Um, well, at Trent Forrest is like six three six two. Um, so you know he does fit that guard size role off the bench. Um, but <laughs> just looking at the Wizards plus minus for their bench players. Um, so Breton's plus five. Um, Garrison Matthews is even. Um, Isak Bonga plus five. Robin Lopez plus ten. Daniel Gafford plus one. Ish Smith plus six. And Howell Neto plus nine. Um, and also Daniel Gafford would have been a lot higher if he wasn't in the game at the end. Um, for that end of game run that the Jazz went on. Um, looking at the Jazz bench, plus minus. Um, George Niang, minus 12. Derek Favors, minus 5. Matt Thomas, minus 9. Um, Trent Forrest, minus 7. And Mie Oni, minus 15 in 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> those aren't good. That's a pretty big telling thing for why the Jazz lost. Um, going over the Wizards starters versus the Jazz starters. Um, Rui Hachimura, minus 4. Um, he played 30 minutes. Denny Avdi only played 10 minutes, but it was minus 5. Um, Alex Len only played 16 minutes, minus 5. Um, Russell Westbrook was the only positive starter. Um, he was plus 10, which is pretty impressive. Um, but that's kind of because because more of like the way the Wizards stagger their lineups is that Westbrook um, is usually in with the bench players, especially during the first stint in the first quarter. Um, so that's more of a reflection of that. But also, like give credit to Westbrook. He did play well in this game. Um, and then Bradley Beal, minus 12. Um, looking at the Jazz starters, Royce O'Neal, plus 14 in 37 minutes. Um, bogged, but I'm, I keep making that mistake because I, I watched the like Hawks play a few times because I... I'm interested in them. Anyways, <laughs> Brian Bogdanovich, um, plus seven in 36 minutes. Rudy Gobert, plus one in 33 minutes. Um, the only Jazz started in the negative is Joe Ingles. Again, because of the way that they stagger their rotations, more of an indictment on Joe Ingles. Um, but he was minus two. And then Donovan Mitchell, plus eight in 39 minutes, which I already touched on. Um, so, you know, like, if the Jazz don't have all their guys, they're going to struggle. That's just the way their team is built. That's the way they are. Um, give credit to the Wizards for winning this game. But a huge reason for why the Jazz lost is because of that kind of delineation between the starters and the bench. Um... I guess the next thing I want to talk about is just the Wizards' shot making in this game um, was really, really good. Um, the Wizards shot, a t- like, as per usual, the Wizards shot a lot of shots in the mid range. Um, they shot 52% of their shots in the mid range, which would put them in the 98th percentile for mid range um, jump shots. Um, and in the short mid, they shot maybe. Is this okay? <laughs> My computer just freaked out for a second and tried to restart um, in the middle of while I was recording. Um, yeah, give me a second. I got to pause this. I got to figure this out. Yeah, sorry about that. My computer just freaked out. It closed all my tabs. I had some of them open for school. So that's kind of frustrating. Um, but anyways, um, so I was talking about the Wizards shot making. Um, they made um, 51.1% of their mid-range jump shots, um, 567 in the short mid, and 41.2 in the long mid, um, which is really, really impressive. Um, that is 
puts him in the 81st percentile for all mid-range jump shots. Um, but where the Wizards were particularly good is from the three-point line. Um, they shot 50% from three. I have to pull back up um, the ESPN Wizards Jazz. Ah, man, it's frustrating. I don't know why my computer did that. Um, but just pulling back up the stats here, um, looking at the... Okay, now they're flipped. Okay, this isn't even the right game. Oh, my goodness. Man, technical difficulties. You know, it happens. It happens. Um, okay, so now I have the right game up. I pulled up the game from like a, two months ago. Um, so the Wizards were on the night were 9 of 19 from 3, um, which is 47.4%, which is pretty ridiculous. They also got to the line 28 times and made 22 of their free throws, which is about their average. Um, but for the Jazz, they... They also shot pretty ridiculous from three. They were 41.7% um, on 36 attempts, um, 15 to 36. Um, and also, like, Bogdanovich is a big reason for that. He was 6 for 10. Even, like, Donovan Mitchell was 4 for 11, which is a good percentage. Um, so the Jazz had a pretty good display of shot making. Um, but <laughs> the Wizards are just better. Um, they were pretty much, like, if you look at the shot chart, they're pretty much green from everywhere on the floor. Um, so are the Jazz. Um, but the Wizards just made more shots. Um, and the shot difficulty um, from the Wizards was harder. Um, so, look, a lot, a lot broke the Wizards' way to, for them to win this game. Um, but again, like, that happens sometimes. That's the reason you play the game. The better team doesn't always win. Um, and that kind of happens. Um, the next thing I do want to talk about is how the Jazz defended Beal and how the Wizards defended the Jazz. Um, so something that was interesting was that, so the Jazz have Rudy Gobert. Um, Rudy Gobert can, like, move his feet pretty well for someone that's that massive. Um, and so how the Jazz were defending pick and rolls with Bradley Beal um, was that they're bringing Rudy Gobert um, close to the level of the screen, but like not all the way. He'd be like a step or two back. Um, and Bradley Beal wouldn't pull up for three the way that he normally would if he was going against a drop um, because Rudy Gobert has such long arms that he can take a step or two back but still contest the three if Bradley Beal decided to pull up. Um, so eventually Bradley Beal started attacking, and he had some success attacking the rim against Rudy Gobert. Um, just some of the finishes he had around the rim were really, really impressive. Um, at the end of the day, he was four of nine around the rim, which isn't great. Um, but I still do like him getting there. Um, he also got to the line. Um, let's see, Bradley Beal got to the line um, seven times, which is a pretty solid number. Um, he was also four of eight in floater range, four of nine um, from mid range, and one for two for five from three point range. Um, so it wasn't particularly Bradley Beal's strongest game um, in terms of efficiency, but in terms of like being attacking. Um, you know, consistently creating offense for the team. I thought that this was a pretty impressive game from him, especially against such a good defensive team and against such a good defensive player like Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, Bradley Beal didn't finish incredibly well around the rim against Gobert, but like you couldn't expect him to. Um, and just finding offense from him and, you know, you normally like, like who else is really going to create for this team um, is like the question that Bradley Beal answered. Um, Russell Westbrook also had a solid night. Um, I will say that like, again, what he was doing was not particularly sustainable. Um, being four or five from mid-range um, for him is not a sustainable thing. Um, he was four or five also at the rim. A couple of those were dunks, which he actually looked pretty good on, um, exploding off of two feet, uh, like pretty much off vert. Um, that was impressive. Um, but the biggest thing with him was his playmaking, um, just being able to get into lane, forcing the Jazz defense to collapse, and then finding open players on the perimeter. Um, that's always been where he's excelled, um, and that's also where he excelled this game. Like not like, I feel like Westbrook of like last year. Um, a lot of times <laughs> the Jazz were like the first ones like pioneer the strategy of guarding Russell Westbrook with a center and just backing up and just letting him do whatever he wants. Um, he did a good job of not particularly forcing anything inside the paint because um, that's like what he would do last year. 
um, and just like um, using his more of a being a threat as a driver to become a playmaker, um, something that he did a good job of in this particular game. Um, but also those four or five from mid-range, so that's not going to continue. Um, so yeah, I guess, so I want to see how far into this I am, um, 18 minutes. Uh, yeah, I wrote a lot of notes down, so I'll go through my notes, um, and then that'll be that. <laughs> Man, my computer shutting down kind of got me out of rhythm. I was Oh, no, the one thing I do want to talk about is Daniel Gafford, though. Um, Gafford looked good tonight, and the Wizards closed the game with Daniel Gafford. Um, I like the adjustment of closing the game with Gafford against this particular team um, when you're up that amount. Um, because the way that the Jazz could really get back in this game is by making threes. Um, and if so, like a lot of the times, the Wizards were playing more of a drop coverage um, when the Jazz were setting pick and roll against um, Robin Lopez and Alex Len. Um, so if you kind of play a drop, that kind of leaves the, you know, step, <laughs> um, off the dribble three open. Um, and like if the Jazz hit a few of those with like angles um, and Donovan Mitchell, all of a sudden they can start to get back in the game. Um, so to adjust by putting Gafford out there, so then he can come up to level the screen and like actually move his feet a little bit better. Um, I thought was a smart adjustment. Um, I don't think Gafford's particularly like as good as the other two centers. I think he's more of just an energy backup guy. Uh, like the broadcast talks about him, like he's like the greatest player they've ever seen. Um, but you know, energy backup role, he's, he's really good in that um, role. He's a great fit for that. Um, pretty good, um, rim runner too. Um, obviously needs to get better as a decision maker. He needs to get better in a lot of areas, but just Throw them out there, say, um, you know, move your feet on defense. You can do it better. Um, don't let them shoot pull-up threes off the dribble. Um, if they get layups, like if they get a bunch of twos, we're still going to win the game. Um, and that's kind of what he went out there and did. I like that adjustment. Um, so I'll kind of go over uh, my notes, and then that'll be that. Um, first thing I wrote down was uh, Joe Ingles. Um, I wrote, it's so good to have him in the pick and roll. He's already made a couple highlights. Like, he is a really, really good passer, um, especially when they get him going left. He's really good at throwing that one-handed, left-handed skip pass um, to the weak side corner. Um, he's also pretty good at, like, pretend, like, he's, like, right when you think he's about to go up and you're like, oh, I'm about to get this block, like, he makes the defender jump. Um, and then he throws that skip pass to the weak side corner. That Those passes are really, really impressive because um, it's, like, like, he's not the greatest athlete, obviously, um, in terms of verticality. Um but, you know, kind of like developing counters for that. He's been in the league long enough um, to where he's just like such a smart player where he does have counters and he does it with passing instead of particularly like finishing in certain ways. Um, so I was really, really impressed by that throughout the game. Um, I heard on my notes, Jazz are really good in pick and roll. Um, they're good enough to hurt you if you go under. Um, but they're great at making the skip pass. They're also really, really good at making that drop down pass. Um, your rotations just have to be so crisp against them um, in terms of helping the helper and then, you know, having that weak side corner guy um, split the two. Like, you, if you're not like exactly on point with all those rotations, they're just going to, like, they're going to pick you apart. And the Jazz were doing that for like half the game. Um, the Wizards did do better at defending the pick and roll for the second half, um, which, you know, was a good adjustment um, that they made. Um, but yeah, just like the playmakers that they have. And then if you throw Mike Conley into that mix, like that makes, you know, <laughs> that like that's why they're so good. Um, just having such good pick and roll playmakers, such good, like such a good big and go bear that can, you know, really, really puts a ton of vertical gravity on the rim. Um, that's just, <laughs> it's an awesome unit to have. Um, and the next thing I remember was drop down passes. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, nothing is worse than when Ish, when a possession ends in an Ish Smith pull up mid-range jumper. Um, yeah, those are always painful. I, I don't understand like how the coaching staff tolerates that. Like even like the Jacob Goldsteins of the world in the front office just losing their minds uh, whenever Ishmith does that. Um, I remember myself also like Mitchell Donovan Mitchell is pretty good at rejecting the screen. Like um, he's pretty crafty on the dribble, um, and that's like a big reason why he's such a good um, 
you know, just guy using the screen um, because you don't really know if he's going to use the screen or reject it. And then you have to chase him over. And if you like, he, he kind of causes that hesitance in your brain. Even if he does use the screen, you're going to be like half a step late um, getting over it and then chasing him. And that gives him a lot of space. He goes one-on-one with the big, um, you know, and it makes it really, really tough for you, um, your defense to handle. Um, so that's an improvement I've seen from him over the last couple of years. I wanted to um, point that out. Um, I already talked about Gafford. Um, Oh yeah, I what am I know like one thing that describes Daniel Gafford pretty well is that um he gets what what the heck does that say? He gets an and and one on one end. Um then very next possession he comes back down. Um he fails to execute the coverage on the double drag. Um well, well the first whoever the first guys um failed to so uh, okay, I'll explain this. So on on double drag screens the Wizards were having um the defender on the first screen hedge. Um, to try to not let the ball handler use the second screen. Um, so that guy failed the coverage. But then the next, if he get, if he's able to use that second screen, the next guy has to come to the level. So then it's not just a wide open step up um, three point shot. And that Gafford blew that coverage. Um, and so that's kind of like the you know give and take with Gafford. Like he gives you an energy play on one end, the other next play, um, he screws up the coverage. Um, you know he's still like working through that. He's a young player. You know, so we'll kind of see with him. Um, <laughs> in my notes, like the next play after that, um, Mitchell split um, a Breton's hedge. Um, you know, whenever teams start to attack Breton's in the pick and roll, the Wizards try to hedge with him. Um, he gets split a lot. He needs to get better with that. Um, Wizards can't figure out how to grab the pick and roll right now. <laughs> I was in the first quarter. Um, oh, Gobert made this one crazy pass in the short roll in the first quarter, first quarter where um, he got the ball around the free throw line and took one dribble. He looked off the weak side help and then threw it to the um, corner, weak side corner um, for a wide open three. I believe it was Mieoni who hit it. Um, that was just ridiculous to see from such a big player. Um, so, um, Jazz said a double drag, Ingles attacks a switch. Oh my, like, you can't, if Ingles goes, um, you know, towards the rim after a double drag, you, and you give up a switch, you got to be able to switch that back quicker, um, than what the Wizards did. Um, you know, because obviously, like, you don't want Lopez defending on the perimeter, like, especially, like, you're watching Joe Ingles, Cook's, Robin Lopez on the perimeter. I thought that was hilarious. Um, in the second quarter, after an eight, after a timeout, the Wizards ran a stack action um, with Howell Neto, um, and they got a wide open dunk from Russell Westbrook out of it. Um, I just I'm begging them to run that with Beal more. Um, Jazz ran a weak side. Oh man, the Jazz. So they're like one play that stood out to me from the second quarter was the Jazz ran a pick and roll. Um, they had Matt Thomas on the weak side and it was a single tag. Um, Garrison Matthews was guarding Matt Thomas. Um, and then they had Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim. Um, I believe Joe Ingles was running the pick and roll, so you had to step up to the level of the screen. Um, so it's Rudy Gobert rolling down the lane, and then you have Garrison Matthews have that half second of hesitance, like oh, I'm guarding a really really good shooter in this corner, but it's my responsibility to pick up this role, man. Um, and you know that led to um, Garrison Matthews trying to draw a charge. He was half a step late, and it ended up being a block. Um, that's the type of way that like. Quinn Snyder really separates himself from other coaches, being able to use his personnel so well. And like even a guy that, like Matt Thomas that doesn't really play that much. Um, so I thought that that play stood out to me as being really impressive. Um, yeah, the Jazz also adjusted the Wizards' um, coverage on the double drag um, to flip the level of the screen to a step up on the hedge, and they had some success with that throughout the game. Um, so coming out of the um, first half, the Jazz um, ran this play where they um, – it was like uh, – it was there. It was a stagger for the weak side. Um, the first screener slipped it. Um, so then um, it came off a single pin down. Um, and then it flowed into a DHO, like kind of like a pistol action. Um, with the empty side, or so the the player who was setting one of the staggers um came off a DHO. Um, and then it 
Um, it was a roll to the rim um, for Gobert, who handed the ball off, um, and he got a wide-open dunk out of that. They ran the same play again, and Rudy Gobert got a, got fouled. Um, so I liked the way that they did that twice in a row um, when it was working. Um, I wrote one, one time in my, um, in my notes, Beal isn't such an unbelievable finisher for someone of his size. He's had a couple of tough finishes over Gobert. Like, Beal's like 6'3". Like, that, like I'm 6'3". Like, just to think that Beal's finishing over Gobert like that, I think is ridiculous. Um, the Jazz ran this nice play a couple of times where they slipped a ram screen. Um, so a ram screen is went like a down screen into a ball screen. Um, so the guy who was setting a ball screen just slipped it um, like high, like a ghost screen. Um, and it was Bogdanovich both times. He got wide open looks out of that when they ran it twice. And I thought that was a good play. Um, <laughs> I read my notes. All of a sudden, the Wizards are making crazy shots. And that's been the difference of the game. Um, Wizards also made a nice adjustment. They're top locking um, Joe Ingles and um, Boyan Bogdanovich, um, which kind of blew up a couple plays. So I like that adjustment, um, especially like finding a way to use um, Bertans, um, use his height. Um, you know, make him make his job a little bit easier. Um, I liked how they did that um, with him in the game. Uh, one point, the Wizards ran. Um, so it was an after timeout play. They ran that option play that they ran for Bertans once before, where Beal could he was in the weak side corner. He could either come off a pin down or a back screen, um, and that play ended up getting him an open shot. Um, I read my notes. Um, what does that say? I think that's supposed to jazz play designs are just really good. Um, they ran that one play again with the um, fake ram into the um, pop. Um, a couple of open jazz threes and all of a sudden, oh yeah, the jazz came back in the game. I wrote that in my notes. Um, talked about Gafford closing the games. Um, one thing I was surprised with um, down the stretch is that the jazz didn't really go at Bertans that much because they had some success with him in the first quarter, just attacking him in every pick and roll action that they could. Um, and, you know, teams in general have had a lot of success with that. So I'm surprised they didn't really go to that more down the stretch. But again, like you kind of, you're hunting for threes, you're down a lot of points and kind of gets you out of your flow of your offense. So I kind of get that. Um, from that perspective, um, I was excited to see um, Scott Brooks put Isak Bonga into the game in a defensive situation late. Um, he hasn't really been doing that much, um, so I was excited for that. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Um, this game is at 9, so it's kind of late right now. The next Wizards game is at 10 against the Kings. Um, so hopefully the Wizards win that. If they can go on this like Western road trip and end it 3-1, and one, that'd be ridiculous. Um, like If you told me... like. You know, a few days ago that the Wizards could potentially go 3-1 and one against games against the Warriors, Jazz, um, Suns, and um, Kings. I would say that you're out of your mind. Um, but, you know, really good stretch here for the Wizards. And definitely check that game out. I'll have a podcast coming out that night or the next day. Thank you for listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hoops Wizards Pod. I'll see you next time.